Well, I shortened it a little bit tonight. Um, instead of Ephesians 6, 10, 11, and 12, we're doing Ephesians 6, 10, and 11. So I just uh, chopped out a verse. Won't feel as, as rushed on this. But we're looking at Paul's introduction to the armor of God. He begins this here. This is his final section. And by his own wording, we see that this is the most important thing of all the things he has to teach. If everything that we know in the Word of God doesn't help us defeat the enemy in battle, really, what good is it? How is it helping us? So tonight we're going to take a look at, and here in the next number of weeks, we're going to be looking at how we are to take what Paul is teaching and put it to work in fighting our battles. Last couple of weeks we looked at submission, we looked at love, we looked at obedience. Last week we were looking at bondservant and the use of, of that word in the scriptures, as well as what Paul was teaching, but basically he's looking at some order that was to be going on, that God expects there to be order, and list what it should be. But here in Ephesians 6 and verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. That term there, or that word finally, is actually from a phrase, to lupo, which means in conclusion or in summation. It's used in other Greek manuscripts for the same period of time to depict something so extremely important that it is placed at the end so that if you remember nothing else, you will remember this. And that could be what he is getting at here. Of course, Paul doesn't think that anything he wrote or said is unimportant. But he does put this here at the end. Now, if you think of some of the things that he has taught on, Ephesians 1 and verse 4, the election of the saints. Verse 5, the predestination work of God and the adoption of sons. Verse 1 and 10, the dispensation of the fullness of, the, of times. Later on, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, the earnest of the Holy Spirit, the power of God that is available to every believer in verse 19 of chapter 1, the grace of God in the beginning of chapter 2, the eternal plan of God in, the, in, in chapter 3, the fivefold ministry gifts in chapter 4, the infilling of the Spirit in chapter 5. These are just some of the things that he had gone over, and yet here we are here at the end talking about spiritual warfare. But spiritual warfare is of utmost importance. And if we are not winning victories over the enemy, then we need to evaluate how it is that we're fighting and what it is that we're doing. All the knowledge of the Word of God you possess is of no use if you don't know how to combat the enemy. And if what you know is not helping you combat the enemy, then either what you know is wrong or how you're applying it is wrong. So, Read this over one more, excuse me, one more time. Finally, my, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Now, he's talking to brethren here. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his, his might. That word, therefore, be strong, is, is from the Greek word endunameo. Now, you may hear, hear the word dunamo, dunamos in there, and certainly it is. But this particular word means strengthen, enable, acquire strength, or give power. The word implies that there is a vessel or person in which power can be deposited into. So the idea is that you are taking power from a source and putting it into another source. Much like you would do with a battery. A battery is something that takes power from another source and stores it in the battery. Our cars have batteries. The car itself gives power to the battery. That's the alternator. The alternator goes, charges up your battery. If your alternator wasn't working, then your battery would, would run out of power because nothing's resupplying it. So the battery in your car is constantly being empowered or strengthened by the engine of the car. This is the, the idea that's here. It is power that is being deposited into some type of container, vessel, or other form of receptacle. The very nature of this word implies that there necessarily must be some type of receiver for this power to be deposited into. 
So he's talking here about us being strengthened. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord or be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. Be strengthened. There's a strengthening that needs to go on. When he says here, be strong, I put in your outline there, it is our decision. I think I left that in your outline. I may have pulled that one out. But it is our, it is something that we have to decide to do. There's some part of it on us. God is willing to strengthen us, but we have to be in that, that position. Sometimes you may have run into this with your car. The alternator is working fine, but the battery is not holding the charge. The battery is not taking the charge, and eventually the battery runs down. You end up on the side of the road somewhere, and somebody has to come and, and jumpstart you or uh, get you going so that you can get over to a, a place that can replace the battery, and then you can, you can get going. Sometimes the battery went bad because the alternator went bad, and the alternator killed it, but God never goes bad. He's always a good power supply. So God is the giver. We are the receptacles of the power. If we are to be strengthened... It is not for God to fight the battles. You are not strengthened so that God can fight your battles. A lot of times we like to take those uh, verses in Scripture where God is saying, stand back, I'll fight this one. And there are times that God has said that to, to Israel. But there's a lot, of other, a lot more times when Israel went into battle, when they engaged the enemy, and God helped them. God strengthened them, and they brought about a great victory there. We may like it better that God would fight our battles for us, but that's not always the way that it goes. Sometimes we are strengthened. Most times we are strengthened for us to fight the battles. So what Paul is talking about here is an area of spiritual warfare, and this is the area with the, the armor. We all know the armor of God is, is in discussion here. Paul spent a lot of time chained up to Roman soldiers. So he got a real good picture of their armor, the things that they wore, the things that they had. So he saw their full dress, and he spent a lot of time around it. I imagine he even asked some of them some questions. Where do you, why do you have this sword? Why do you use this? What's the, what's the uh, uh, breastplate good for? And, uh, all, the, all the different things. So he had a, a, a good knowledge, and when we get to there, we'll, we'll see. But his knowledge of the... The um, armor of the Romans actually grew as Paul got older. And you'll see some of that from his early writings, talking about it to the latter ones. So this word would indicate that we are strengthened to fight our own battles, that God strengthens us. If we are just, if we are just strengthened, though, no victory will be achieved. We are strengthened to fight the battle. But then he also goes, talks about us putting on the armor. The armor of a typical Roman soldier, and this would vary depending upon their size. The shorter ones would have less weight, the taller ones would have more weight, simply because the taller you are, the bigger your shield is. That's a, that's a big one. The shield was made to, to the person. So if you were 5'6", you would have a smaller shield than someone who was 6'5". They would have a bigger shield that would weigh more. But other things would change as well. But I'm told by those who, who have uh, added this up that a Roman soldier's armor would weigh somewhere between 75 and 125 pounds. Now imagine if somebody gave you 75, 100, 125 pounds and then told you to run. How would that go? But this is what the Roman soldiers had to do. They had all this stuff on. So there needed to be an empowering of the Roman soldier in order to carry the armor. Without that empowering, all that armor would do is weigh them down. So they had to do their own things to empower them, to strengthen them, to be able to carry all that weight and use all that. Of course, David was the great picture of that. The armor got put on and well, it just weighed him down. It wasn't going to help him out at all. So this word here, 
It is used a few times in the Septuagint, and it's worthwhile for us to take a look at this. In Judges chapter 6, verse 34, But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, then he blew the trumpet, and the Abizarites gathered behind him. So the Spirit of the Lord came upon, or strengthened, Gideon. He came upon him to strengthen him for the battle. First Chronicles 12:18. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. So David received them and made them captains of troops. Now there the Spirit of God came upon him. There was a strengthening there. This is a, this is a person who is a chief of the captains. In Psalm 52, 7, he is the man who did not make God his strength, he but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. He strengthened himself in his wickedness. So there, this word it, it does not necessarily have a, a spiritual meaning by itself. Paul is using it in this particular way. It can be used as someone who strengthens themselves in a, in a wrong capacity, like it's talked about here in the Psalms. But let's take a look at how it's used in the New Testament. But Saul increased, there's our word, all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. There was an increasing, but Saul increased all the more in strength. The, the increasing that came, the strengthening that came, came from God. He's receiving things from the Lord, and God is building him up, and he has strengthened him. He's not out there doing push-ups. Romans 4, and verse 20, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Speaking about Abraham. He was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. God strengthened him, but it was still Abraham who had to stand in faith. Abraham had to do those things in faith. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Boy, we all like that verse, don't we? But that's what this word is meaning. So I'm the receptacle. God is pouring the strength into me. I have to receive it. Once I receive it, I need to do something with it. You don't ever put charge in a battering unless you're expecting somehow to use it or you want it there to be on standby. You know, you get a power outage, you want to make sure you have a, a flashlight around that has a, a battery that's, that's chargeable. Sometimes before we have a, a, we know a major storm is coming in, especially in the wintertime when you have a winter storm coming, coming through. I have a number of flashlights that are around in the house at my disposal. And one of the things that I'll do is I will uh, take all the batteries out because I don't have... Uh, flashlights with normal batteries. I have ones that have chargeable batteries, special chargeable batteries. And so I have a special charger for those special chargeable batteries, and I take all the flashlights I got, I put all of them on the charger. doesn't matter where, uh, when they were charged last. If a storm's coming in, I want everything to be fresh. I want them to all be, be ready. We charge them all up so that they have some power so that if we are in need of it, it's there for us to be able to use it. I can do all things through Christ who th strengthens me. Without the strengthening, can you do all things? Well, no. We may want to do all things, but i got to have that strengthening, so i got to understand how this process goes about. How am I strengthened? 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me, strengthened me. That's our word. Second Timothy 2 and verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong or be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So there's something that, that I can do that empowering is there. I just got to connect to it. 2 Timothy 4.17 But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. Also, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me for the purpose of that the message might be preached fully. 
So there was something that Paul needed to do, but God poured strength into him to get him in there. But this is supernatural strength. This is God's strength that is poured into Paul to accomplish the thing that is there. God wasn't going to preach the message. Paul had to do that. Paul wasn't, or God wasn't going to be the one who faces the opposition. Paul was going to be facing that. So sometimes in our prayers, we pray things for God to do these things that we have to do. No, just get yourself in that position and receive that empowering that's supposed to go on. One more. Hebrews 11.34 Quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. Talking about all the people in the Word of God who were used of God. They became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Out of weakness were made strong, were empowered. Supernatural strength came to them to accomplish the purpose that was there. But they still had to be out there. They still had to be doing some things. They had to take that strength that was in there. Even if they felt weak, they had to step out and do that. We saw that with Gideon. Even though Gideon felt weak, he had to put himself out there and get going, and that empowering came to him. So Paul spent a good portion of this letter discussing um, what is spiritual over what is flesh. I have an extra word in there. We don't need that. But discussing what is spiritual over what is flesh. This is what most of the book of Ephesians is about. And so I left this part in there for you. I wrote it down. I was just going to read it off for you. But since we had some space, I kind of knocked out some other things and and put this in because I wanted you to see this progression that is there. That first off in chapter 1, he starts off with our redemption is in Christ. We have the famous prayer in chapter 1, the prayer for spiritual wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. This is the prayer to receive wisdom, understanding, and knowledge from God. In chapter 2, God's grace is through faith, spiritual, not natural faith, not natural flesh. God's grace is through faith. We believe it. It's not through our works. It's not through natural things. It's through supernatural. This is where God's grace comes from. That's in chapter 2. Also, He is our peace. Not natural peace in the world. He is our peace. We spent some time on Sunday morning talking about that. People sometimes mistake the peace of the world and the peace that the, the, the world enjoys with the peace of God. Chapter 3, the mystery of the church and the purpose of the mystery is to defeat the devil as his principalities and powers. The mystery of the church. Our purpose as a church is to, de- is to defeat the devil, to defeat his principalities and powers. That is what we're supposed to do. We are to defeat them. There's a prayer in chapter 3 for our comprehension of the mystery, that we may be filled with the fullness of God. So we have to understand what this mystery is because God has called us into a place to defeat the devil, to defeat principalities and powers. Just like he's talking about in chapter 6, to be strengthened, put on the armor, go after the enemy. That's our part of our purpose here. In chapter 4, we are called to have a walk worthy of our, of our calling, that the grace gift given to us to use in the body. There's a grace gift that is given to each of us. All of us have grace gifts, and we're to use those grace gifts to strengthen the body. We have to receive from the other grace gifts as well. There's a fivefold that is given to equip. Being strengthened should empower you to walk differently from the rest of the world. And that's what he emphasizes here in chapter 4. You should walk differently than the rest of the world. The rest of the world shouldn't see you walking the same way they are. They shouldn't be subject to the same things, to the same sins, the same passions. Uh, You should have victory over, over these things. And if you're walking and receiving the strength that comes from God, you will have this victory over it. If you're receiving strength that is of the flesh, then you won't. And you'll walk empowered by those things and therefore fall prey to the sins that God would have you to walk over. Chapter 5 says, Be imitators of God and walk in His love. We have God as our example. This is how God walks in love. Let's walk in His love. He also said, walk in his light, not in the world's darkness. We are to walk according to the light of the gospel, not according to the darkness of the world. Our walk 
is empowered by something different. We are to walk in His wisdom. Not the world's wisdom. We are to walk in His wisdom. We are to walk in His order. Not the world's chaos. And He uses the example of husbands, wives, and children, and uh, even servants, so that we can see the order that God expects that we would walk in. Now, Williams puts the translation of this verse this way. From now on, you must grow stronger through union with the Lord and through His mighty power. From now on, you must grow stronger through union with the Lord and through His mighty power. So it's looking at this empowering as coming through a union. Well, just as your battery in your car is only empowered because of its union with the engine. It's got those, those cords, those two wires that cause a union with the engine. Got the plus sign, the minus sign, you mix them up, you're going to have a, all kinds of problems. But if one of those things gets disconnected, or if they get corroded, or somehow the passage between one and the other is, is blocked, then that union between the engine and that battery is broken. Once that union is broken, the battery will lose power and is not able to run the car. From now on, you must grow stronger through union with the Lord and through His mighty power. The Amplified puts it this way. In conclusion, be strong in the Lord, be empowered through your union with Him, draw your strength from Him, that strength which His boundless might provides. Weiss puts it this way. Finally, be constantly strengthened in the Lord and in the active efficacy of the might that is inherent in Him. Finally, be constantly strengthened in the Lord and in the active efficacy, I think union is just better to understand, of the might that is inherent in Him. Now, if you ever want to be, see why you have to be careful of some of the translations that people think are translations that are not and they're paraphrases, we all like uh, the message every now and then. If you look up the messages in this, you might be a little bit appalled. They really mess it up. So always make sure that even though you might like something like the message or paraphrase that's out there, always make sure you go back to an actual translation and compare it. If you look at what the message did with it, I didn't bring it in here, but if you look at what the message did, wow, that is not what he said at all. So the strengthening comes by living as Paul has taught here and through that union. That's where that strengthening comes from. He has taught these things, how we are to have that union, how we are to be walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. If a Christian is walking according to the flesh, their union is with the flesh, and their empowering will be flesh. But if your union is in the Spirit, your empowering will be in the Spirit, and then you'll be able to engage in what he is talking about here in chapter 6. So even though uh, that word may mean Finally, even if you don't remember anything more, I look at it more this way. Paul has been building up to this. If you want to have victory over the enemy, if you want to have a, a way to overcome the enemy and not be, be given in to him, what you need to do is have that union going on with God. We showed you all these things about that union. We showed you some prayers that helped build up that union. We showed you all the things that are important. Stop walking according to the flesh. When you're walking according to the flesh, you are building up a union to the flesh. When you walk according to darkness, you are building up a union to darkness. But when you walk according to the light, when you walk according to the Spirit, then you are building up that union with God. And then that strength will come from there. If we are ever getting to a place where our strength seems to be running out and our battle seems to be increasing, it may very well be that we have hooked up to a wrong source. Just like when our car runs out of a battery and we go over and we pull over the side of the road and we turn the key and we don't hear anything going on, our, even the most novice of car enthusiasts out there know when you turn that key and you don't hear anything, what's the problem? More than likely, it is the battery. That's the first thing that we go to. And so... We may call somebody up and say, I think I need a new battery. I think my battery is, uh, needs a jump start. Whatever it might be, we immediately go into that. We've got to do the same thing with our spiritual life. But the strengthening comes by living as Paul has taught here 
and through that union receiving strength from God to win battles. We are not waiting on Him to do it. We are not waiting on God to win the battle. We have been strengthened to fight and when we, it's going to take us a little while to get there, but when we get to the end of this thing, there's a particular part of this, of this uh, section of Scripture that people do and have a, a great misunderstanding of what Paul is actually saying. So we'll spend some time into, into looking at it. Now, when he says here, in the Lord, you've heard me talk about this tense before, it is locative of sphere. It means this strengthening is locked in the sphere of the Lord. If you get out of the sphere of the Lord, you get out of this empowering. There's no other way to, to, to walk in it. This is the only way to, to do it. It's just, use the car example again. If you have your battery out of your car on the side of the road, in the garage, on the driveway, wherever it might be, and your car doesn't start, and you called somebody up, and they came, and they said, well, the battery's not even attached. Oh, is that important? <laughs> they would, they would uh, pretty much think that you are a nutcase, because just about everybody knows the battery's got to be inside the car. If we are not in the sphere, if that battery is not in the sphere of the car, it's not going to help the car. It's not going to be empowered by the car. It's not going to do what the car needs to be done. But you can have everything in tip-top shape in that car. Now, that battery is not working. That car isn't going anywhere. There are some parts of your car that they can be uh, weak. They can be needing repair. And the car will still run. It may run loudly. It may not run as well. It may run dangerously. But it will still run. But you pull that battery out, that car will not run. It shuts it down. We're the, in the same way. If I get out of the sphere of the Lord, I will not be empowered by the Lord. So when he uses this locative of sphere, he is saying this empowerment only comes in this sphere. You must be in the Lord. So all those things he taught about walking in the flesh, you walk in the flesh, you're not in the Lord, you don't get this empowering. You walk in the Spirit, you're in the Lord, you receive this empowering. So all those things he taught about that, they come into play here. Now it says here, the power of his might. We're going to spend more time on this uh, down the road, but the word here for power is the Greek word kratos. It means dominion, might, power, and strength. Most of the time that you see this verse in the New Testament, it is translated dominion. It is speaking of the reign or the dominion of God. So when it's saying here, the power of his might or the dominion of his might. Where does his dominion, dominion end? Does it, does it just encompass here on the earth? Encompasses the entire universe. All the universe is, is covered by that. I love space pictures. You know, we got a new telescope up there in the, in the uh, atmosphere now, or above the atmosphere. And uh, that's pulling out some, the Hubble's been pulling out some wonderful pictures for, for a long, long time. But now we got a new one up there. I think it's uh, called the James Webb. Anybody ever heard about the James Webb one? Uh, this thing blows the Hubble out of the water. And it's been a little while, a little delayed in getting it, but it's now, um, they got it up there in the space, and believe it or not, they had to get it to cool down because it was not at a temperature that it could function. So they had to have it up in space and cool down so it got to this right spot. And then it started taking the, uh, pictures. I had the, uh, the ability, uh, because of some of the places that I'm, I'm on and tie into, I was able to take a look at a picture that was shot with the Hubble. And then they took that same picture with the James Webb. Wow! <laughs> Talk about definition. Boy, does it ever define these, these things. But some of the pictures they have, I just uh, sent one over to my, my grandkids. They, they, I thought this was a spectacular shot. 
they had the one of the, I don't know which one did it, it was probably the Hubble, because I don't think we had too much from the, the web one just yet. But they had a picture of a black hole. You all know what a black hole is? You know, they're still trying to decide what they, what they are, but it's a period of point of darkness that's in there because the gravitational pull is so great, light cannot escape it. So it actually pulls light into it. And so they had, and they, they counted them up, I don't know how many billions of stars, I don't know how they counted them, but they had this, this picture of all these billions of stars around and then this one thing of darkness right there in the center. All that, all those things that are there. They put the, uh, one of these, uh, I think it was the Hubble, they aimed it at a dark point of space. There was no light at this point. And so they aimed it there and they let the, the camera take in all the, all the light that it could. And after a while they, they developed the, process the image and just thousands of galaxies, stars, planets, all began to appear in here at a place that we look at in the in the space and it was dark. This thing just goes on and on and on and universes and galaxies and nebulas and places where stars are still being born and places where stars are dying. This thing is huge and God's dominion encompasses all of that. So if, if his dominion is going to encompass this huge expanse of space, huge, how much might do you need to manage all of that expanse of space and keep it in order? And keep it, you know, Rome, when they went out to to expand the Roman Empire, they had to make sure that they didn't expand too far so that they, they didn't have the uh, dominion, the strength, in order to uh, maintain order out there. And so there are some parts, you know, when they came over west and they did do some battles in the, uh, I'm sorry, the fr further east of the kingdom, but eventually decided to pull back from that and not, not go in that direction. Uh, it's just gonna, it's going to take too much effort on their part, too much and then they would have to maintain it. But God has all of that. How many other worlds are like ours where there's uh, life on it? I have no idea. But, boy, I tell you what, the more that these telescopes going out there and the more that they pull some beautiful images and they get to see some of the, uh, some of the things that are going on, it's just, it's just amazing. You know, with... Uh, we talked about them before, but the Voyager ones, if you, ever, if you follow them, uh, NASA is just getting to the point now where they're starting to power them down. And so they're not done with them yet. They're going to try and prolong them for a few more years. But uh, the, initially, these things are supposed to last about four years in space. And they're now on 44, somewhere between 44 and 50. I forget what it was. I think, um, oh, I did have the dates. I didn't know the dates before because we just went over one of the anniversaries of, of uh, one of those, but they were launched in the same year within a few months and um, uh, the Voyager 1 only saw two of our planets and then went out into the emptiness of space. Voyager 2, I believe, visited four of our planets and then went out into the emptiness of space. Isn't it amazing that they have been flying all this time and they have not encountered Anything else? Near 50 years of flight in space and they haven't encountered anything else. In fact, they uh, just, I think it was last year, the year before, they got into what's called interstellar space where they're outside of the influence of the sun. And uh, anyway, that's how huge things are. 55 years. All right. Thank you for looking that up. That is just, I think it's amazing that you build something to last for four years. And it's still going 50 some odd years later. I mean, that's just, in, in, a, in a very hostile environment, space is very cold. And there's a lot of things, little tiny things are flying around that could uh, 
hurt them, them suckers. They still keep on going. Imagine have, if you had a car that ran all that time, 55 years, still going strong, and had not stopped at the gas station. That is amazing. But anyway, Kratos is dominion, might, power, strength. The word here for might is iskus, forcefulness, ability, or might. You would use this word if you were going to describe, describe a bodybuilder. I'm not saying this word means a bodybuilder. I mean if you were going to describe a person who just built up their body to lift heavy things. And they had muscles. This is, this is the word that you would use to describe that because you would be looking at their individual might, their individual strength. So he is looking here that we are strengthened according to his dominion or power, according to the dominion or the power of his might. You look at how much might he needs to operate the dominion that he has. That's what you're tapping into. If we are running out of power, it can only be because we have disconnected from the source. Because as long as we stay connected to that source, we are not running out of power. Let's read that verse one more time, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong or be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of His might. That's our source. That's where it's coming from. This is how He starts off spiritual warfare. That we are being strengthened in this way. Let's go on, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So put on the whole armor of God. Now he's talking about something spiritual here. Always used to bug me. I've been in some of those meetings where they try and teach you to, uh, you know, physically put on the helmet. That you should wake up in the morning and physically put on the helmet, and you should physically put on the sword and the boots and the or the shoes of peace and and all. That's that's some of the most stupid things out there. You are naturalizing something that is spiritual, and if you think that going through the motions of putting on a helmet and putting on a sword are going to empower you, you are wrong. You are tying in something that is flesh, trying to make it something that is spiritual. What he's talking about here is spiritual. And if you try and naturalize this, then you will not get what he is talking about. He's trying to give you a natural example to demonstrate a spiritual principle. But he doesn't want you to, to naturalize the spiritual principle. He's just giving you a natural example so that you can under, understand what is happening in the Spirit. And there's a lot of people out there that like to go around, you know, let's put on the helmet. I put on my helmet today. and Or some people, I, I've heard them. I, I've heard them. Oh, I forgot to put on my helmet today and boy, the devil's just been having a time with my mind. Oh, my but he says here, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, if you will operate and you will do what he has been teaching here in the book of, the, of Ephesians, you will find that you are putting on the armor of God. And as we go through and look at the different pieces, we're going to show where that is. When he says to put on the whole armor of God, there is a uh, there, there is something spiritual that goes on to have this thing on on your, on your spirit man. Put on the whole armor, not partial, the whole armor. You're not going to do yourself any good if you show up with a sword, but nothing else. You need to go out with it all. You need to have the helmet. You need to have the shield. You need to have the sword. You need to have the shoes. If you go out without the shoes on, you're going to be at a disadvantage. Something's going to be, be going on. No, if you're going to go out in this battle, you got to have it all. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, this tells me that 
if I don't put on the whole armor of God, I may not be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If I have not been strengthened, I may not be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That if I am not finding myself standing against the wiles or the schemes of the devil, more than likely, somewhere in this area, I have either become disconnected from the source or I do not have on the armor. And I've got to find out what it is. That you may be able to. That you may be able. I've got to use first off his weapons, not mine. I've got to use his strength, not mine. If I do, I will be able. It doesn't mean that I, that I will. It just means that I'll be able to. There's a lot of Christians who may have that strength, but may not use it. They may have that armor, but they don't use it. Just because a Roman soldier is in battle, has the strength, has done the things they need to do naturally to be able to carry all that equipment, has the right equipment, they've been, they've been uh, fitted and, and outfitted, and they have on the armor, doesn't mean that in battle they will engage the battle. It means they're able to, but it doesn't mean that they will. There are still some people who are soldiers, and for some reason they got a little cowardly in the battle, and they wanted to run, or they wanted to not fight. That, that can happen. But it doesn't have to happen. Let's read it again. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If I go into battle, and I don't have on the armor of God, but I feel like I'm strengthened, I'm a fool. If I have the armor of God on and I'm not strengthened, I'm still a fool. I need to have both things. This is a spiritual battle. This is serious stuff. You go out on the battlefield and if you go out on the battlefield without the right things, you can get hurt. Bad things will, will happen. They try and keep people that are not properly trained, properly equipped from being out on the battlefield. Because it's a dangerous place. People will get hurt out there. But he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now that word there for stand, we're going to uh, spend more time looking at this later on. But it's a very common word. It's used over 150 times in the New Testament. It has in its meaning something about standing long. It means to stand by like a waiter. If you were to tell a waiter, wait these tables and you give him this section, that waiter would stand there and watch the tables to see who needs something. They would stand by and when somebody needed water, when somebody was ready to put in an order, when a plate was ready to be brought out, they would be there and they would be available. They're standing by. This is what that word would be used to describe. One of the things. It would be to set before, like the disciples in Acts chapter 5 were set before the religious leaders. That's what this word would be used there because they're, they're standing before them. As a metaphor, like we're using here in Ephesians, as a metaphor, it can mean stand firm, stand against, or stand your ground. Stand firm, stand against, or stand your ground. Now, the word here, wiles, comes from the Greek word methodia. It means traveling over or trickery. It's a compound word. Two words, meta and autos. The word meta means with, and the word autos is the word for road. When the words are combined together into one word, as it is here in Ephesians, it literally means with a road. Now, we, you probably already figured this part of it out, but you can see what English word we get from here. Method. Some translations will actually translate the word method. But the word method really, is really not quite strong enough to convey what is done here. Now, one of my um, 
one of my uh, works that I, I go to often, defines it this way. Method, strategy, scheming, craftiness, planned, deceitful procedure. I like that last one. Planned, deceitful procedure. Paul is the only writer to use this word. He uses it here and in Ephesians 4 and 14. I'll read that one for you. Therefore, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That last word there, plotting, is our word. But he teamed it up with a word, a separate word for deceit. Deceitful plotting. That he's, the devil has methods. He has ways to go. Now this word, Paul's using this. Now Paul's the only one who uses this word in relation to what the devil does. He's the only one who does this. Some of that may come out because of what God revealed to Paul about the church and about the church age and what was to be coming in here. And so he saw that one of the things that the devil would do is he would have a deceitful way, a plotting, a way that he would go down. He knows, it, it, well, this is a road. When you have a road, that road doesn't move. It's always the same. It goes from, a road goes from this point to this point. It leads you from here to here. And especially in the days when Paul is writing, we don't have all these crossroads and all these, you had the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. You had the road. You might have two roads, but you didn't have a whole, you didn't have 20 different roads to get there. You just had the one, or maybe you had a two, or you had the road from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. And there would be a road that would connect that. And so there would be a path. If you wanted to get from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, you would get on the road and you would travel down the, the road because the road took out all of the, the obstacles and it made it, uh, it made it work. I don't know if you've ever uh, thought about this when you're going on down the inter interstates, but I sometimes drive, would drive on down the interstates and just look at all the ways they made the road, how they took some of the mountains and just knocked them down and made them smaller. And then they took, uh, I guess, parts of those mountains and they filled in some of the valleys and they, and they uh, made it so that it was a straight, you weren't going up and down, up and down, and up and down. No, you were going a lot straight. There's still some up and down that was going on there, but I would be looking at, oh, look at that mountain there. We could have been going up on that thing. Or look how high this could have been. Oh, look at that valley down there. We're not going down that valley. We've got a bridge that's going over here. Or they filled in this spot because they tried to, to knock all that stuff out and make it straight for you. So it's a whole lot easier to go on the road. Can you imagine trying to take your car off-road and get to the same place? That could be more difficult for, for some than others. You have a Jeep or something like that, you can get through on, on, uh, on some of those things a lot better than, than others can. But uh, some cars, they're just not, not going to make it. You know, you got rivers and you got uh, forests and trees. You're not going to make it there. See, so you stay on the road. The devil has roads. He has methods. He has ways that these things, that he, that he does these particular things. So what he is saying here, let's read that verse again, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or the planned deception of the enemy. He has a way that he wants to do this. 2 Corinthians 2.11. I want to read this verse for you. We're not going to see the same word here. but Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us. We are not ignorant of his devices. That word... What's that? <laughs> yeah, we are in Corinthians there. Oh, yes, I did. I, because uh, 11, 11, 11 is where the, the word is that I want you to see. But it's half the sentence, so I pulled, up, I pulled back a little bit. I, I meant to mention that to you. But 10 and 11. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, this word here for devices 
is a different word from our other one. It, it's, uh, it comes from the, the Greek word nous. The Greek word describes the mind or the intellect. So in one sense, what Paul is saying here, we are not ignorant of the way Satan schemes and thinks. So in one place, Paul is saying we're not ignorant of the way that Paul, uh, the way that Satan schemes or thinks, and we are not ignorant of his methods. If I know how my enemy thinks, if I know the roads that my enemy usually takes, the methods that he does, then victory is a lot easier to to come to. We're able to to accomplish that. I remember one of the battles that uh, Alexander fought, and he, he won pretty easily. And after he had conquered them, he was talking to the, uh, the king or whoever it was who was on the other side, and he told him, you're too predictable. I knew exactly what you were going to do. Now, he, what he had to do, Alexander, he would keep himself unpredictable. And so he would, he would do things that sometimes would allow people, well, he's going to do this, and he wouldn't. He was a master at that, that sort of stuff. But... If you know the ways that someone is going to come, the way that something is, is going to happen, then you're able to achieve a, a victory. And this is what he's talking about here. We know the schemes. We know the way the enemy thinks. I know the roads that he takes. He wants to get you from here to here. So this is the road. You've got to watch out for the road. Don't get on this road. If you're on this road, get off it. So if you know the road the enemy takes to bring you down, you can stay off of it. Well, I don't want to be on this road. Have you ever been driving around someplace trying to get to a particular destination and you're on a road and you know this is not where I want to be. I don't want to be on this road. I need to get on a different road. If I'm on this road, I'm on the wrong direction. I'm going the wrong way. And you know... Uh, yeah, all right, I, I need to get off of this road because this road is not taking me where I need to go. And that's what we need to know about the, the schemes of the devil. So here, let's go over some of the roads that he has. These are some of the roads, and you can probably think of others. I'm not trying to make this uh, complete. But here's some of the roads that, he's, uh, that he does. The road of unforgiveness and bitterness. If he can get you on the road of unforgiveness and bitterness, he will get you off your destination. He will cut you off from your strength. He will pull off that armor, and you will not be winning any spiritual battle. But you see, we've been equipped with strength from God and with the supernatural armor. We shouldn't fall for that. We should know he's leading me down an avenue to walk in unforgiveness. I'm feeling bitterness coming up on the inside. That's, that's the wrong road. I can't be on this road. If I'm on this road, it's taking me where I don't want to go. And so we should be able to recognize it. This is the wrong road. Get off of the road. Don't be on it. But I have every right not to forgive them. See, you're on the wrong road. You're walking according to the flesh. You're not walking according to the Spirit. And you're ignoring the things that Paul was teaching about in the first five chapters. Second, where are you? The road of doubt and fear. Where we're doubting the things of God. Well, I don't know if God will do this for me. Well, I don't know if God can do this. Well, I'm so afraid that this is going to happen. Road of doubt and fear. Well, what if faith doesn't work? What if God doesn't uh, come through? That's the road of doubt and fear. I ought to know that's one of his ways that he, this is one of his schemes. This is one of the, the roads that he likes to do. This is part of his methods. His planned deceit. He's going to take you down this way. He's going to try and hit you in there with some, some fear, some doubt, because he knows it will take you down the wrong, the wrong way. Worry and anxiety. That's another road. Don't get on the road of worry and anxiety. Well, I'm so worried about this. Oh, I'm just so worried about that. Sometimes I'll get you worried about someone that you love because you think if I don't worry about them, I don't love them. Well, call me when you get home so I don't worry. Ooh, 
If they don't call, do you start to get worried? I'm not going to worry anyway. If it comes up in your spirit, God will tell you, hey, something's going on. And then you go into prayer about it. But the road of worry and anxiety. Yeah, but the road of isolation and distrust. Well, I can't rely on anyone else in the body of Christ. People always lie to me. People always let me down. So I'm just going to be by myself. I'm just going to distrust anybody who's preaching the Word of God. Well, I just distrust them. They're in it for the wrong reason. So I'm going to cut myself off from, from hearing the Word taught. I'm going to cut myself off from having any fellowship with believers because I got into the place of isolation. I got on the road of isolation and distrust. Hey, but the road of wrong doctrine and false revelations. How many people in the New Testament did Paul pinpoint? They got on the road of wrong doctrine and false revelations. But they didn't get off it. Yeah, but the road of false grace and lifestyle sins. Well, the grace of God will cover that. Just, uh, you know, live any way that you want. Do anything you want to do. God will forgive you. The road of false grace and lifestyle sins. You can keep on going more. devil's got some roads out there. And if I can't get you on this road, I'm going to try and get you on this road. And if I can't get you on that road, then we're going to try and get you on this road. And we just try and put you on the, on the road because if I can get you on one of these wrong roads, we're going to get you going in the wrong direction and you're going to be separated from that strength and from the armor. Properly strengthened and equipped, we won't be prey. He won't be able to devour us if we are properly strengthened and equipped. Just knowing about God won't do it for us. There's a whole lot of Christians that know about God and they're losing battles left and right in the spiritual realm. Many people who think that if I just know about God, that should be all that's needed. Well, I know about God. I know about spiritual warfare. I know about the armor. I know about being strengthened. Well, that doesn't mean you are. Just because you know that the battery in your car needs to be charged by the alternator, just because you know the battery in your car needs to be changed every now and then, doesn't mean the battery in your car is working fine. You may want it to, but it doesn't mean that it is. And the more you know about things, you can might be able to, to tell, you know what, I think it's just acting a little bit funny right here. Or, well, it's been so many years since I got one of those, I think I'm just going to get it tested. You know, if the Spirit of God comes up on the inside of you and says, test out your battery, and you don't test it out, and then you get stuck on the side of the road, don't go blaming God. God says, well, I told you in your spirit, go get it checked out. You didn't do it. Properly strengthened and equipped, we will not be prey to the enemy. But if I am not properly strengthened and I am not equipped, we will be. The devil knows how to deceive. He's very good at deception. Just because you're a believer doesn't mean that you're immune from deception. You can be deceived. Doesn't mean you have to be. What Paul is telling you here is, you've got enough stuff on your side, he should never be able to pull you in. He's very good at what he does. He's very good at deception. But the strengthening and the armor is better. So if you walk in the strengthening, you walk in the armor. And no matter what road the devil tries to get you on, it won't happen. You'll see it. So that's our introduction here to this section of it. And we'll get to, he's going to teach more about the, the pieces. I don't think we'll get into the first piece next week, but we may surprise ourselves and, and see. But Father, we thank you that you are the one who strengthens us according to your power, that, dom that domain, that dominion that you have and the might that it takes to sustain it. That is the power source that feeds us. And the armor that you gave us more than able to overcome the enemy. We're falling prey to the enemy. Somehow, we're not walking in the knowledge of what we're supposed to be doing. 
But I thank you that what we have learned in your word, we can use to fight these battles. We give you the glory and the praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen.